You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Hartford Small Biz Ahead podcast. My name is Gene Marks, and I am here with my co-host, John Adekonis. John, say hello to the crowd. Hey, everybody. How's it going today? Thanks for listening again. <laughs> We have Grant Gallagher here. Grant is the head of financial well-being and brand communications, Infinity Federal Credit Union. And we're going to talk about financial wellness. So first of all, Grant, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Gene. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, So let's get into it. So first of all, two questions off the bat. Um, Let's talk about, first of all, Affinity Federal Credit Union. Talk to me a little bit about what Affinity does and just for our audience, because it's always, I know you've probably been dealing this with this your entire life. Explain to us what a credit union is compared to, say, a traditional bank or a financial services company. Yeah, yeah, no, ha- happy to, to go through that. Um, you know, credit unions are uh, member-owned cooperatives. So, you know, un- unlike a traditional bank where, you know, they have their shareholders that, you know, the business responds to, credit unions, we're accountable to our members. Everybody who joins, it doesn't matter if you have $5 with us or a million dollars with us, you're an equal owner of the organization, you know, and we take any sort of uh, revenue that we do produce and put it back into the business to provide our members with better rates, fewer fees, and, and you know, whatever other perks and benefits we can come up with. Uh, we're headquartered in New Jersey. We're, we're the largest credit union headquartered in New Jersey. Uh, and we have a branch footprint throughout New Jersey. Jersey, uh, New York, and Connecticut. Very cool. And yeah, so our audience grant is like are like small business owners as well. Um, so you know, just to be clear, like you you guys serve small businesses, right? I mean, small businesses as a company or individually, and their employees can become members of your credit union, uh, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, we we have a dedicated team for our business members. Uh, you know, they provide you know hands on service. They make sure that they have all the products and services and solutions that they need. One of the common misconceptions about credit unions is that we don't have the same product services or resources that the bigger national banks do. Uh, but that really hasn't been the case for quite some time now. You know, we we are involved in everything you can imagine in the financial services industry. And, you know, I like to think that we do it better most often. Anytime that a, a business member has a, a need, they can reach right out to, to somebody that they know. You know, they're, they're not calling in just a general 1-800 number to, to get help. They, they, they have a representative that they know and they can, they can reach out to and trust. Um, and, you know, we do all of the, the basic banking services for, for small businesses, as well as uh, commercial lending. You know, we're, we're pretty big in that space as well. And we have a dedicated commercial lending team for, you know, any of those lending needs. So your title is Head of Financial Wellbeing and brand communications. So um, tell me what that job. Uh, so it's, you know, it has a couple different facets to it. I've, I've actually been with the credit union since 2009 and doing different uh, job functions. For a long time, I was really focused on our financial education and, and health programming, providing seminars, educational content, uh, really just making sure our membership knew what they needed to know to make sure they were living their best financial life. Well, in uh The past few years, I'd say about three or four years ago, we've partnered up with uh, some other credit unions and the uh, world-renowned research 
group Gallup, and we've started focusing a lot more on our members' financial well-being. So at that point, you know, I started leading that initiative and have been uh, digging into that for quite some time, making sure it was uh, being integrated into everything that we do as an organization. So we, we've been doing that for, for quite some time now. Uh, and then there's some other functions that I'm involved in. I'm, you know, leading many of our communications efforts. Uh, and I also am involved in some of our political and regulatory advocacy. So I, I do a little bit of a, a grab bag at the credit union. But, you know, I would say our, our first and foremost, most important thing that I focus on is our financial well-being, uh, as that's truly core to who we are as an organization. Fair enough. Fair enough. So how do you define financial well-being? What exactly does that mean? So that's a, that's a great question. You know, most people start to hear that a lot in the financial services space without actually knowing what it means. When we're talking about financial well-being, we're talking about the emotional side of, of finances. You know, we, we subscribe to the Gallup concept of, of well-being, and that has five interconnected elements, financial being one piece of that. But, you know, the recognition is, is that your emotional state, your, your psychological state really interconnects with many of these pieces, but you can't live your best financial life if you're suffering in any of these other areas. So, you know, what we're really trying to do is make sure that our members and, our, and, and the community at large have the, the tools and information and resources that they need so that, you know, their finances isn't just a pain point for them. It's not just a, a source of stress. It's something that they look forward to as, as a, a resource to enable them to live their best life, to look forward and, and achieve their dreams. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I mean, the there's such a awareness right now about overall well-being. Um, there's mental health well-being. There's overall health, you know, wellness, um, and then there's financial wellness. And are you seeing your small business members rise to that? Have they have they uh, taken more interest in financial well-being over the past couple of years? Absolutely. It, you know, it's out of necessity. Um, the, the world has been so constantly changing with new things coming up all the time. And, you know, any any of those small business owners who, you know, were, were either just starting out or, or weren't really too far down the path of, of business ownership and, and their uh, entrepreneurship, they were probably struggling a lot. And it was probably a very stressful time for them. Uh, and they really needed somebody to be there to help guide them, you know, help put things in context uh, and, you know, make sure that they had the resources that they need to, to weather the storm. The reality is, whether it's a, a business member or a personal member, everybody has, you know, some sort of stress around their finances. And, and really, what we try to do is make sure that they, you know, both have those resources that they need, but also understand the context of their situation. You know, one of the things that we see a lot is people come to us and, and they are in a decent financial shape. They're comparing themselves to the people around them, you know, and, and right. if their neighbor is doing a lot better. They have a, uh, you know, a Lexus in the driveway, but their neighbor has, you know, a Tesla. They're like, oh, I'm doing terrible. But, you know, the reality is they have a steady income stream. They're working towards their goals. They're looking to their future. Putting that in context is really something a lot of people need sometimes is to understand that keeping up with the Joneses doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're in a bad space. You know, you kind of have to reflect on your own financial situation to really see how you're doing and, and, and understand that contextually. That's fair enough. I actually think that Teslas are kind of overhyped right now. I mean, you know, I don't even know where you would plug them in when you live in a city. So I, you know, that that whole issue's got to be figured out. But I get it. I'm seeing a lot of Teslas around, and that does have a bit of a status to them. So Grant, so I run a company. I've got ten employees. I'm interested. I, I want to make sure that they are that they're feeling good financially, right? I mean, yeah. like that they are managing their finances well. Because I'm assuming that the better my companies feel, my my employees feel about their finances, 
the better they will do at their jobs, right? So that, that is that is a sound assumption. There is research that backs that. Speak to me a little bit about what I, as a business owner, should be doing, and how would you work with me? Say I'm a member of Affinity, and you know what would you do to you know to get my employees feeling good about their finances? You know, a lot of it is, I mean, one is, is just having the tools that make it easy to manage your finances. You know, if, if it's something that is difficult to do, if it's hard to really, you know, track your, your payments, track your bills, um, you know, a lot of people won't do it. They'll, they'll, they'll shy away from it. It'll kind of be this mysterious unknown lurking in the background and it'll become a, a, a source of stress. So, you know, it's really having them have resources available to them to easily look at their financial situation, easy access to loans when they need it, and just a workable way to have those tools to work through it. And if they get to a point where, where they're you know going down a path where they're like, I don't know what my future looks like, I'm having trouble managing my finances, somebody they can reach out to. And you know that's, that's one of the things that we're really passionate about is uh, you know, helping our members and, and member service excellence. Where you know if the member comes to us and and you know needs to talk through budgeting, setting goals, you know really anything in their financial life, we're not just looking to give them products and services. We're looking to give them real solid advice that gets them on the path they need to to be on to get where they want to go. You know, and we do that through various ways. You know, with a lot of the traditional products and services. But you know, one of the benefits that we do offer our membership is free credit counseling through multiple agencies. Mm-hmm. So if that individual is their, their credit score is not where they want it to be. Uh, they can take advantage of that service for free to get hyper-customized advice to tell them exactly what they need to do to, to get back on track, get their credit score where they want to be, give them a timeline as to how long that's going to take, you know, and really just set them on that path to success. When they're feeling good about their finances, you know, it, it, like I said before, it, it cascades into those other four areas of, of their life and their just overall emotional state is, is much more solid. Sure. You know, it's funny. I have, I have some clients and actually some larger clients as well. I'm thinking of my son where he works at a very large company. They provide them with apps, you know, like, well, here's like a financial wellness app. So, you know, it will help you if you want to, do I buy or lease uh, my next car? Do I rent or do I buy a home or how much should I be putting away for college? It just, it seems to me though, that these kinds of things can't all be answered with technology, right? I yeah. mean, you need, you need people and an advisor involved. So is what you're saying that your firm and firms like like yours, like Affinity, um, if they really have their act together and they're really servicing a small business well, they are probably providing some technology, but also providing a human touch as well for their employees. Can you speak to that? No, that's that's totally accurate. You know, it, it's great to have on demand, you know, technology that you can use to help you make choices. There, there's no doubt about that. But a lot of this has to do with trust. You know, if, if you don't feel like that app really understands your situation, if, if, you know, there's some complexity that doesn't fit into this, you know, very specific questionnaire that they've set up for you, you know, you might not really trust what's coming out the other end when it's making that recommendation. On the other hand, you know, if there's a, a live person that you can talk to and, and they can empathize and understand your overall situation and maybe ask you about some things that are coming up that, you know, they can just intuitively, you know, identify. If you mentioned that you have kids going off to school soon, well, you know, student loans is probably a pretty big pain point for you and something you're concerned about. And, you know, you can weave that into the conversation as well. You know, the, the, the reality is the best tools to manage your finances are the ones you're comfortable with and the ones you'll actually use. doesn't matter how fancy and flashy an app is. If you feel like it's not connecting with you, if it's not the right solution, you know, you're not going to use it. And it's not, it's not a, a useful tool for you. I agree. Do any of your clients or your members actually ever bring up an issue of um, 
confidentiality or privacy? You know, would like employees say, I don't know if I want to talk to the person's my business owner's credit union because they're going to turn right around and tell her or him about some financial problems that I'm having. Does that issue ever get brought up or? How do you, you know, that? Uh, th- that's that's a good point. You know, we're we're fully confidential. We we fully just serve as, you know, uh, trusted financial advisors to to our members whenever we have that opportunity. It's really against pretty much all banking regulations to to share that sort of information with anybody except for the individual you're you're talking to. There really shouldn't be that concern if if anybody's discussing their their personal finances, but you know, the the number one thing that we always go back to is is Trust is so important in everything that we do. You know that is that is our our number one asset that that we can't lose. Uh, so so that's really at, at the foremost importance whenever we're having conversations with anybody. That's great. All right, well, I'm going to turn it over to John. But before I do, just a, do a quick personal financial question. I'm I'm thinking of sink, sinking all of my money in crypto sometime next week. Is that okay? Can I make that move? Well, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things where uh, you know the markets they go up and down and. Listen, I, I have to laugh because I, I actually was on a, uh, a, a symposium a few months back and somebody was asking me about investing in crypto. And, and, you know, I told him this. I was like, listen, do you understand what it is? You know, that's the first question. If the answer is no, no, don't invest in it. The, the, the second question was, is there anything that you feel more comfortable in investing in that you feel like you have a fair estimate on what your return will be? And they were like, well, yeah, you know, if I if I play the stock market, I feel a little bit more comfortable that I'll get, you know, single digit to maybe up to 10% returns. It's like, okay, that's great. Do you have any loans that have a interest rate that's higher than what that return is? They're like, yeah, I got a credit card that I'm, I'm working down. I'm like, well, there's your answer. That credit card, you know, you're paying more in interest and you're going to get back on that investment. So that's what you should be working on. All right. Well, thanks, Grant. But uh, Bitcoin, man, I'm telling you, it's really, I, I, I think it's going somewhere. Anyway, go ahead, John. I know you've got a bunch of questions. Awesome. Yeah, Grant, my, you know, I'm curious about when I think about financial wellness or kind of when we talk about it broadly as a society, so much of it's a reaction. So we need to get our finances together for something or because we went through something or, or we're kind of making up for lost time. So when kind of thinking about things we can do every day or kind of to avoid having to play catch up or when things are good, when we're not thinking about like how we can be better or, or, you know, recover, what are some things people could or should do to kind of um, build a routine that lets them keep a pulse check on it and kind of like get things course corrected before they kind of go off the rails? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great question. A good point, John. The number one thing that I'm, I'm always an advocate for is setting up automation wherever you can. You know, if, if you can automate your bills and you feel comfortable making sure that you have, you know, enough money in your account to, to have that payment automatically go, do it. There's probably not a lot of value for you sitting down and looking at a statement and, you know, cutting a check every month. As I mentioned before, if you're not comfortable automating, then, you know, you're, you're just going to have to suffer through that, that approach. You know, anytime you can cut back on the amount of paperwork that you're getting from your financial institution, you should you should try to take advantage of that. You know, I'm a big advocate of, of online statements, uh, but that stuff only works if you're actually looking at it, if you're actually paying attention. You know, I, I, I like to think of my, my mom as the perfect example of this, where she's old school, traditional, mailing in her paper checks and, and getting her paper statements. Uh, but that works for her. You know, for the rest of us, if I was getting a paper statement, that's paperwork. That's now something I have to shred or I have to remember to file and, you know, maybe look at in three, three or four years from now. Anything that you can do to plan things out as well is, is critical. You don't want to be a, a day day late and a dollar short on, on any of your bills. So, you know, making sure that you are aware of everything that's coming out, coming up, operating as it should. 
you know, I, I tell everybody they should be looking at all of their accounts at least once a month to make sure there's nothing suspicious going on. There's no fraud. I mean, there's so much out there in that space that, you know, if you if you're not looking at your money for a month, there could definitely be something going on that you're not aware of. But, you know, there, there's so much technology at our hands these days where, you know, popping open an app and looking at your accounts for a couple minutes, you know, once a week is super easy to do. And, and you know, scheduling that and regimenting it so you're you're not forgetting about it is, uh, you know, you can be waiting in line to get gas and, and you know, just do it there. It's, it's, it's really simple. But, you know, no matter what you're doing, it's, it's really important that, you know, you have some sort of plan or budget in place that you're working towards. Too many people just kind of go with the flow and, and are trying to do things last minute to, to manage their finances, where if you have set up a plan and you're sticking to it, it's that much easier to identify when you go off that plan. And it's that, you know, you're, you're kind of stopping the bleeding before, you know, you're really starting to get into a, a down, downfall spiraling situation. But again, it's, it's setting up that, that consistent habit and paying attention to your money. One of the things that I, I like to encourage people to do when they're working towards a goal, there's usually a saving component to it. And, you know, the, the simplest way and the best way to, to save towards that goal is automating that, setting up automatic transfers, whether it's a, a monthly transfer, you know, from a, an account, you know, there's going to be funds in, whether it's taking a payroll allocation, you know, part of your paycheck going towards it. Um, you know, putting that on autopilot is, is the best way to reach what you're trying to achieve, because the second you have to sit down and actually manually move money, that's when you feel the pain of it. You know, setting up that automatic transfer, that's not going to be painful. You're just going to be thinking about the end state of how, how good it's going to feel to be on that vacation or, you know, on retirement or, you know, whatever you're saving for. It's true. I mean, I, I do a lot with kind of the auto funds because it prevents me from not following through with myself. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm good at honoring my commitments to everyone else. But when I'm like, it's what I'm going to, I can win another day. But I think about your comment on goals. And, you know, when you think about financial goals and probably more in that commercial space, too, how do you kind of recommend people start to, to think about those? So I feel like a lot of us are super ambitious. We're like, in 10 years from now, I want this big flashy thing, or this is kind of like my, my you know, end state. But I feel like sometimes those can be a little bit hard to take action on. So when you think about what you've seen in success, and whether it's coaching or counseling or what your team does, you know, is there a kind of timeline that most people tend to be most successful around or ways to kind of build into some of the bigger or more bold assertions without kind of getting off track? So, yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. Um, and typically what I, what I recommend is, you know, setting different levels of goals, you know, looking out one year, five years, 10 years, you know, that, that 10 year goal is always going to kind of be a BHAG kind of, you know, imaginary, imaginary best, you know, end state. Um, but when you, when you look at that far, you then want to kind of work backwards into, you know, smaller bite-sized chunks. You know, a lot of people when they're when they're thinking about their goals, it's it's just overwhelming because it's such a big thing to think about, you know, wow, you know, I'm I'm saving up for retirement, I'm gonna need, you know, a million dollars or probably even more these days. And that that just seems unachievable. But you know, when you break it down, you're like, oh, a paycheck amount of of you know, a couple hundred dollars, that's not quite so overwhelming. So, you know, breaking that down, having different Short, medium, long-term goals is, is really important as to, you know, how you can stay on track for that. But, you know, the other thing is it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world if you fall off track. You know, it's, it's, it's really just your, your motivation and your willingness to sit down, look at your situation, probably talk to somebody who, who can kind of take a step back and see the forest from the trees and help you build that plan to get back on track. Because, you know, unless you're, you've really hit a, you know, some sort of devastating life milestone where, you know, this is, you just 
it's no longer achievable, um, it, it's pretty unlikely that you can't find a way to, to get back on track and start to save or, or start to you know, do those activities that you need to, to reach your goals. One of the, the key things that we really tell people when we're talking about financial well-being is looking at what's within your control and what's important. You know, and, and if it's something that's not important, well, you know, stop wasting your mental capital on it. It's, you know, it's not worth your time. And if it's changeable and in your control, then, you know, work on that, work on trying to change it. But if it's something that you, you have no power over and it's just going to happen to you, accept it. You know, it, it's not worth the stress. It's not worth the energy, you know, really focus on those, those changeable, controllable, important things, because that's, that's where you can make the difference. And that's where you can work towards what you want to achieve. And it's, it's interesting, your kind of correlation with, uh, financial wellness and, and mental wellness or kind of mindset. And I do wonder a little bit, cause I feel like, you know, there's, there's the old adage, right? Like money can't buy happiness, but, um, but when you don't have money, it's very easy to become unhappy or stressed or, or kind of get into that mental spiral of not being able to figure out what the next step is, right? Like usually a financial Absolutely. crisis is a severe one. So what are some things people can do? Like aside from, you know, I guess being, um, very organized and committed and saying, I'm always going to have a rainy day fund. But when someone does kind of hit that moment to your point, and it feels like things are going off track, like how do you kind of inspire them to think about that? So is it really kind of a mindset exercise first? Is it let's kind of put the fire out? Like what are, are some kind of things people might think about if they're under a little bit of a, you know, cash stress right now? I, I like your, your money can't buy happiness. And, you know, one of, one of my, my, I, I, you know, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it's a lot harder to cry when you're driving in a Ferrari, <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, uh, there actually is a correlation between the amount of income somebody's earning and their financial well-being. you know? So it's, uh, I've, I've heard different numbers here and I think it's, it's because the research is dated, but it's like 75,000 to $100,000 in income is kind of where diminishing returns start to happen with happiness, you know? So, so you have some higher levels of, of well-being when you have those better levels of income, but then they start to drop off, you know, with diminishing returns. But that being said, that doesn't mean that, you know, anybody under those thresholds can't find financial well-being. They can't find happiness. It's just that it's a little bit more work and it's a little bit more effort. A lot of that really ties to income stability. You know, as, as long as you're having a positive cash flow at the end of the month, you know, and if you're not in that point, that's your number one goal. You know, you need to figure out how you're paying all the bills, having some sort of money, you know, left over so you can actually go out and enjoy your money. If, if money is nothing but a, a source of, of pain and frustration, that's how it's always going to be associated. That's how it's going to be. You know, it's just going to be a source of stress. So, you know, you need to you need to figure out your cash flow situation so that, you know, you can get to that point. And that's that's a budgeting exercise that's, you know, sitting down with a credit counselor. You know, the next piece is setting those goals if, if you don't already have them. Uh, that that's really a, a key point to to get to because you're then going to start to look forward about your financial situation. It's not always present day. It's not always current state. It's not thinking about putting the next meal on the pit table or living paycheck to paycheck. It's maybe that date night that you're saving up for. Maybe it's that trip you're saving up for. So you know it's it's those associations. But you know there's there's a lot of little tricks too to to make sure that you're building a, a positive cash flow. And it's you know the the one that we all probably fall victim to is our our uh, subscriptions. You know you got to go and you got to audit your subscriptions. Do you need Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple Plus? You know, it's like you can only watch one thing at a time. So maybe you don't need, you know, five video subscriptions in a month. 
and, and, you know, same thing with the cable bills, you know, some people have, you know, that still have cable bill packages are, are paying hundreds of dollars a month for stuff. They're not, not even watching. So that's kind of low hanging fruit that, that we'll look at. Um, another one is, you know, consolidating or, or paying off high interest loans. You know, if, if you have any sort of loans that are, that are over 10%, there's probably an, an opportunity to, to consolidate them, refi them, get a lower interest rate and just overall reduce your payments. And the same even applies to, to lower interest rates rate loans that are, are a couple of years old. Uh, you know, the interest rate environment and everyone's personal uh, situation changes significantly, usually over a couple of years. So if you have a loan that's, you know, one, two, three, four, five years old, and you haven't looked at rates recently, you haven't explored a refi, you know, you could probably refinance that loan and, and you know, save on your monthly payment. If not, you know, just paying lower interest on, on a monthly basis helps your cash flow as well. So those are just some some basic things that most people can do, you know, and and none of those things fall into your your bucket of of improving your financial life, you know. Talk with somebody who who you trust and and you feel is knowledgeable at your finances and they can look at your picture too and give you some advice and and probably see something that you haven't seen before just because you're so close to it, you know, you're living your day-to-day finances and and not really recognizing the opportunities there. Yeah, I think that's interesting because even though those skew a little bit more towards what we all can do as people, I think even as a business owner, when it comes to things like subscriptions, right, we all have vendors that we work with who probably have growing capabilities. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of going through an audit every now and then, like, can I get the service from someone I'm already doing business with? Or are there rooms to right size contracts, right? Yeah. Also like PARs. So, you know, Grant, if you listen to our podcast, you know that I am the restaurant analogy king. But, um, you know, I'd rather have money in my bank account than on my shelf. So, you know, are you regularly kind of going through those inventory exercise if you're in a retail environment or kind of a food service and making sure that your orders are the right size? Because I, I don't think it can be said enough. It's really kind of the liquidity you have access to more so than kind of the, the total net worth that can make a difference in how you feel day to day. So I am 100 percent with you there. You know, and, and to that point too, it's you know it's also important to look forward as much as you can from a cash flow perspective. You know, maybe you have a, an operating line of credit that covers you for today, but are you planning to to grow? Are you planning to expand? Are, are you maybe going to hit uh, you know some some rainy days coming up because you have some seasonal business? All things that you should think about when you're looking at your your financial situation, and maybe it's worthwhile, you know, reaching out to increase the amount of capital available to you so you can weather those those bumpy days. You know, it's not always it doesn't always have to be a, a cutback on cost. It can also be, you know, on the other side as well, increasing your capital. I got to jump in for just a second. I know John John loves to talk about restaurants, and um, you know, I you know, Grant, I'm a CPA, so I do a lot of financial consulting, and I tell you, my best clients follow your advice to the T. They're, they're always looking ahead. You know, they're, they're forecasting yeah. themselves out. And, you know, when I talk to some of my clients that have been in business for decades, they do rolling forecasts. I mean, they're looking out 90 or 120 days ahead of them. So they know if there's any big expenditures coming. They know if there's any tax payments or, you know, thing bumps in the road ahead. And for those of you guys listening, doing a forecast, it's not as tough as you think. I mean, you take your year-to-date numbers from QuickBooks to your accounting system and you know, you know what your overhead is every month. You know, you know what your margins are. You can estimate those. The tricky thing is just forecasting your sales. But, you know, if you've been in business for a few years, you should be used to what your sales are normally at that time of year. You can always ask your salespeople for backlog and, you know, quotes that are outstanding. You can figure it out at least for the next 90 days. And that way, man, I'm telling you, when you know what's coming down the pike, you can manage your cash so much better, you know, and manage your wealth better as well. So 
that's my two cents of advice that I wanted to make sure I, I got in here. You know, the, the worst thing you could do in that that situation is just not even try. You know, if you, if you know, even even a bad forecast is better than no fa- forecast at all. Yeah, I agree. And and the other thing I just want to say with my clients, like, okay, it's a it's a pain in the neck when you first started out, particularly if you're not that used to doing it. Um, so work with a financial advisor. But you know, once you get it down after the first like two or three times of doing it, it becomes pretty repetitive and routine for you to do. Yeah, you do it once a month. And again, like I said, my best clients, you know, they try to minimize their surprises. You know what I mean? Sorry, John, back to you. No, it's good advice. And I think like anything, it's a learned skill, right? The more you do it, the better you're going to get. So there's no harm in kind of building that into your your practice. But, you know, I, I am interested in kind of, um, you know, when we think about the lending side too. So I think the past couple of years have been... Um, interesting. I think people are thinking about money very differently. I think they're thinking about long-term saving very differently. And, you know, as we start to, to enter a phase of what feels like, um, I'm going to knock on wood and caution, cautiously, optimistically, cautious. Yeah. Is that the way to say this? Talk about entering what feels like more of a coexistence, what this new normal is. You know, it feels like you're also starting to see people start to splurge again too. Or kind of make big decisions, right? So I think about kind of like the housing bubble right now, or people kind of thinking about like new cars or what that means in terms of vacations and kind of things that start to to kind of have a financial burden. You know, what advice would you give to people thinking about kind of taking a splurge and how how sometimes do you determine like how much of what you have available to your point to go out and enjoy versus like what's really kind of a comfortable limit to sometimes have like in, in the, the back end, right? Because I think you know, you hear a lot of, of metrics just thrown out there, like have three months of savings or be able to support yourself for a year or two, two months of business expenses. You know, is, is there a right answer to that? You know, it, it, and that's that that's the, the, the tricky one is, you know, it, it depends. Every everybody's situation is, is really different, even just depending on on where where you live in the country can have a big impact on how much savings you really should have. Personally, I I am much more conservative, and if I don't have you know more than six months of savings in in my account accessible to me, I feel uncomfortable. You know, I I, I get a little little anxious and, and jumpy. But you know, some people they they're very confident in their situation. They're very com- comfortable having you know less available to them. Um, and sometimes it's not actually about having cash on hand. It's it's about the capital that you have to you. You know, if you have a, a home equity line of credit or or a low interest credit card that you feel comfortable using as as that emergency fund in a situation, then you don't necessarily have to worry about the the cash. I don't necessarily recommend for most people to borrow when they can use their own savings, but you know, it, it all just depends on what capital and what interest rates are are available to you and, and what you feel comfortable with. You know what. Part of that too is, but but like you know, going back to what I mentioned before, it's it's important to enjoy your money. It's important to you know make sure that it is a source of enjoyment as well. Uh, and you know, one of the things that the the research has shown through Gallup is that experiential spending has a much bigger impact than you know tangible items. Spending money on things. So you know, if if you have to spend you know a little bit more to go on that trip versus you know buying that that item that you're you know, probably going to forget about in a couple of months, uh, you know, go, go out and splurge a little bit, you know, and make sure you're, you're bringing fen- friends and family along to create those memories. Cause those are really going to just boost your overall mental state for, for a much longer period of time. And, you know, you'll, you'll come back and who knows what, you know, how your mental state could be after that. You could, you could be ready to rock and roll and more productive than ever. And, you know, really take your business to the next level. And, you know, in that case, you're paying off dividends on, on, you know, probably what's a pretty small investment in the grand scheme of things. 
No, it's very true. And I think it's good advice. Um, Jean, any other questions that you got for, for Grant today? No, I am good. Uh, Grant, you know, I'll let you I'll let you know how that Bitcoin investment goes. I really appreciate <laughs> your advice and telling me to put all my assets in there. And um, I think that was very prudent of you. So thank you. And I, I'm going to counter one of his points. I think you should go for the Maserati versus the Tesla or the Ferrari. Oh, very nice. So, yeah, that's, that's really my style. Have you looked at me lately, John? I'm, an accountant. <laughs> I'm buying a Honda Accord. <laughs> I, I just don't feel like you can be an Italian leather seat. You know, Grant and Gene, it's been a pleasure talking to you both today. I think, you know, we got some good advice and, and good information for our audience. Um, you know, really appreciate your perspective on wellness and, and really thinking about money as a tool to to kind of take the next step and to, to reach what you're aspiring to versus kind of being a source of headache. Because I think if anything we've learned over the past couple of years, that the human, uh, you know, capability to be resilient and to really kind of direct our mindset and stay focused and overcome eating challenges is, is pretty remarkable. So, you know, appreciate the time and all of you listening. We appreciate you. We wouldn't be here without you. So make sure you check out, you know, other episodes of Small Biz Ahead on the blog, sba.theheartford.com. Um, let us know in the comments if you like content like this or if you have any questions. Um, and we'll be sure to link to some resources about financial planning, budgeting, forecasting in the show notes below. So until the next one, we hope everyone has a great day. Take care.